Father, we uh, uh, bring our hearts before you today, calling upon you as Jehovah. Uh, we thank you, Lord, uh, for being the God who hears prayers, who answers prayer. And Father, just as we prayed uh, uh, dedication, Lord, over uh, one of these children earlier, uh, that she would be given to the authority of the Lord Jesus. So also, Father, collectively, we come before you acknowledging, Lord, that you have all authority, all rule, all reign. Lord, just as we prayed that this uh, one of these young uh, lads, Lord, would be strong and courageous and that they have, would have their hearts fixed upon you, that the peace of God, which transcends understanding, would guard their hearts. So also, Lord, as a congregation, we now place ourselves before you, praying that we too would be strong and courageous, that we would choose faith over fear, and that the peace of God would guard our hearts and our minds. Uh, Lord, for this uh, sermon, it is your word, it is alive, it is active. We pray that it is piercing uh, to the heart, that it would challenge some, encourage others, rebuke others, and exhort us all that the body of Christ may be equipped for every good work. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, well, we welcome you today. Uh, first visit here. Commit to six. Come to the next six Sundays. Come all the way through Labor Day weekend. We'd love to have you join us. Uh, this counts as number one, so you got five more, okay? And then after that, decide whether New Hope is a, is a place for you. So thank you for uh, joining. Uh, Genesis 32 is where we're at, uh, at New Hope. Uh, we study God's Word each and every week, and uh, we're in a series in Genesis called Jesus True and Better. Uh, all the way through Genesis, we're pointing the spotlight uh, to Jesus Christ. Uh, we're seeing him in glimpses, uh, the eternal Christ, uh, as he is on display through each and every page of the scripture. Uh, also joining us uh, not only here uh, is also those who are joining us at various locations, uh, homes where people are sick, uh, hospice places, uh, places like Culver Meadows and others where folks have gathered in community rooms uh, and places like Bel Air uh, where we have a campus led by Pastor Bob Felton. Uh, would you uh, join uh, us in welcoming them all with a round of applause? We greet you. Thank you for watching. Uh, there's no pain like family pain. If you have family pain, this message is for you. If you have sibling rivalries that extend back decades, this message is for you. If you have unresolved issues with siblings, with relatives, uh, something that happened years ago and you're not even quite sure where the relationship went sour now because it's been buried by ages and years of debris, uh, if it looks like reconciliation is just totally impossible with that person, this message is for you. Uh, the story picks up in Genesis 32, and here's the background that you need to know. Uh, Jacob has a twin brother. His name is what? Esau. He hasn't seen Esau for 20 years. It's been 20 years of silence and separation. And in chapter 32 and 33, here's the progression. Here it is. You ready? Uh, Jacob is wrestling He's wrestling with his broken past and his uncertain future. And then he comes to wrestle with God alone. And then for the first time in 20 years in chapter 
33, he encounters his brother Esau. The last time we saw Esau in the Bible was 20 years before when the family erupted in massive chaos uh, and Esau uh, said with a vow of anger and wrath, I am going to kill my brother. It's the last time we heard from him. And that has been on replay now in Jacob's mind for 20 years. And you could imagine the angst and the pain and the and all the what-ifs that are going on in Jacob's mind as he is now approaching back. He's been in exile for 20 years, modern-day Turkey, and now as God has called him back and he's going towards the Promised Land, towards Israel, and you could imagine as he's wrestling with his broken past, his uncertain future, as he wrestles with God, and in chapter 33 when he meets his brother, could you imagine what he's thinking? But the elder brother, remarkably, forgives him. We're not even sure why. We're not sure how. The Bible is completely silent. Esau, who said 20 years earlier in the family feud, I am going to kill him, in chapter 33, runs to him, embraces him, kisses him, weeps over him, and there's reconciliation and peace after 20 years. This is where the story is going. I have a testimony I want to read to you. This is written from a, an elder sibling to a younger sibling. The elder sibling says this, I am obviously one of the most flawed people in the world and perhaps the most flawed person you know. I've spent my whole life running from pain, from feelings of worthlessness and feelings of being a complete and utter failure. Underneath it all, I have always blamed myself. I've always felt like a failure, like I have no purpose. I questioned my job, questioned my purpose, and questioned pretty much my entire existence on this earth. I always ask myself, why? Why am I like this? Why am I such a failure? Why am I always doing wrong? And then I ask God, why? Why? If you're so great and love me so much, why am I even on this earth? Up until a couple of years ago, God never really answered me, so I thought. Lately, though, I think he has been answering me. And I have kept shrugging off his voice in my head, thinking it was probably my feelings and thoughts trying to mimic what I wanted to hear. What I do know is that in all of my time feeling sorry for myself, all the time I have kept telling myself what a failure I am, I have forgotten all of the important things he has done for me. I failed to realize until recently that the simple act of kindness by you on that weekend changed everything in my life. She is writing to her younger brother. If you recall that weekend, I didn't know you and you didn't really know me. I don't even think I wanted to know you at the time. What I do know is that by you jumping in that cab with me, with you eating a rapas and drinking a beer with me in a divey East Village restaurant, is that you set something in motion. I sit here now eight years later and think about that time. 
I think about how that led me to opening up a little over the past few years to you. More importantly, it just helped me realize that in all the running away, what I needed was right in front of me the whole time. In all of the situations, bad and good, that have happened throughout the course of my years, even though I am truly not worthy of God's grace, he has been there every step of the way. He has protected me, provided for me. He has walked with me through everything. Ultimately, even though I was running from him and had turned my back on him, he was always there. He has protected me through stupid life decisions, kept me out of harm's way, and has honestly kept me from killing myself many times. Most importantly, he has blessed me with you. I sit here crying because I am so lucky to have you. I can't begin to tell you how much of an impact you have had on my life. I need you to truly understand and know that that one simple act of kindness you offered me that night in the East Village of New York City truly started to heal my broken heart and my soul. I need you to know that your unconditional love has helped me realize that I am worthy and that although I am still a mess, I am a blessed mess. That elder sister is my sister. And she's watching live, and Tammy, I love you. And thank you for writing that. And thank you for letting us share that today. Reconciliation between siblings doesn't always happen. But I want to tell you, real briefly, why this happened. It happened because in 2005, 13, what, right, 13 years ago, I was sitting right back there, back row. And the pastor on this stage was preaching a message that Sunday, and his commitment, his call for action that Sunday was, if you identified a relationship in your life, that you need to do something to pursue and to seek out a relationship that has been severed. And the altar call was simply this. God, I don't know what I'm gonna do with this, but I'm making a commitment today that I'm gonna begin to reach out to that person who I don't have a relationship with. I didn't know it was gonna be a long, arduous journey, but the blessing of a repaired relationship with the sister has blessed me probably more than it has blessed her. So as we take a look at Jacob and Esau, this is real life. And actually, we're just gonna start with that right now, with a prayer for reconciliation. If you have a person in your life, long since lost contact, a broken relationship that maybe extends back a long time, I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm just going to ask you on behalf of that relationship to stand, and I want to pray for reconciliation because that's the heartbeat of this passage. So stand if that's you.
that you're going to say, I'm going to begin to do something to reach out to that person. There might be something set in motion right now that takes the next 10 or 15 years, guys. Think of it. Father, we pray for these represented here. Thank you for that day in 2005 when you got a hold of me. Uh, thank you, Lord, for blessing me with a sister who loves me. Thank you for the joy of reconciliation. Thank you that Jacob and Esau, after 20 years of silence and separation, joined together with embracing and tears. And Lord, it's a miracle. Only you could do that. And so, Lord, represented here, uh, Lord, there's divisions represented uh, within family units, within family systems. And God, you know exactly what needs to be done. But it is outside of our control. So we pray, Father, your divine blessing. We want to wrestle with you like Jacob until we get your blessing. And we see a relationship that has gone from silence and separation, and we see it unified by the beauty of the Holy Spirit of God. And so, Lord, we take uh, these people, these hearts, we submit them to you and ask for your will to be done. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen, amen. Chapter 32, a man wrestles. He wrestles with his broken past and his uncertain future. You know, you can't run from your past forever. You know that? Did you know that? He's been running for 20 years, and now it's time to face it. 20 years earlier, he fled home, and the last words he heard from his brother, I'm going to kill him. And now as he's returning, he knows the proverb. The proverb hasn't been written, but he knows it by human nature. Proverbs 18 uh, says, A brother who is offended is more unyielding than a strong city. And he is afraid to meet his brother. And so he goes about strategic reconciliation. He's headed his direction. Jacob is headed the direction of his brother, so the first thing he does is he sends an email. <laughs> Modern-day email, messengers. <laughs> he sends messengers. Uh, why? Well, it's tact and diplomacy. He doesn't want to just show up on the doorstep as a cold call, right? So he sends messengers to kind of feel out the mood, the receptivity of how Esau is doing. Uh, they go with humility. They call themselves uh, his servants. They call Jacob his servant, and they call Esau my lord. Uh, so it's very humble uh, in nature. And he sends gifts. It's a lot. If you're in the agricultural or if you're in, uh, in, the, in the midst of raising cattle or whatever, he sends, get this, he sends 550 animals. Uh, a collection of this and that, but basically he sends this entire entourage. I mean, massive amounts of wealth as gifts, as presents. He's preparing Esau. His motivation is listed in verse 20, chapter 32, verse, 30, verse 20, uh, when he says that his goal is to appease him. He is seeking to appease his brother. 
For he thought, verse 20, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps then he will accept me. That's the motivation. So the tact and diplomacy, the presence, the messengers, all of it is to prepare to meet Esau. By the way, it does call to mind the New Testament guidelines. In terms of reconciliation, Romans says this, uh, as much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And for Jacob, this is what he's doing. He doesn't know how Esau is going to respond, but in a New Testament principle type of a way, he is doing everything within his power, sending messengers, sending gifts, appeasing through humility, through a bent knee. He is seeking reconciliation with his brother. As much as it depends on Jacob, he is seeking reconciliation. Does it mean that he's going to get it? No. But he's doing it. It also calls to mind what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, if your brother has something against you, uh, insinuating because you did something wrong against him, if your brother has something against you, first go be reconciled to your brother. And then Jesus says this, settle matters quickly with your brother who is taking you to court. Jesus says settle matters quickly. Jacob's wrestling with an uncertain future. Uh, imagine how high his blood pressure gets when he hears this word. When he hears that the messengers have come back from Esau and the messengers have a report. Here's the report, you ready? <laughs> Jacob, Esau is coming your way. And he has 400 men with him. How are you feeling? That's the report. He's coming. He's got 400 men. And the last words that Jacob heard 20 years ago from his brother is, I'm going to kill him. The uncertain future begins to play in his head. His blood pressure skyrockets. Whatever 400 men means, the scripture doesn't say exactly what motivation is on Esau's heart. It doesn't even give us that window. Uh, we can be confident this is no Mary Kay convention. This is a strong display of military might. I was in eighth grade, Traverse City West. And uh, I remember getting off the bus at uh, Traverse City West, and I remember uh, one of my friends uh, uh, kind of came up to me at Frantic and said, dude, uh, Joe is looking for you. I won't give you his last name. Uh, Joe was upset at me, but he wasn't upset just at me. He was upset at my whole group of friends, and Joe was a guy you just didn't want to mess with. And I was scared. And so I avoided going through that hallway, and, and I went uh, to the other hallway. It would get attacked, diplomacy, right? Uh, my friend Sean, uh, who Joe also didn't like, didn't apparently get the memo. <laughs> and so Sean went through the hallway where Joe was waiting for him, which led to uh, a severe broken nose uh, and blood splattered all over the lockers and over the floor, and it was a bad deal. And it could have been me. Thank you, Sean. 
but this is it. Uh, Jacob hears Esau's coming. He has 400 men, and, and all of this is replaying in his mind. Revenge, the 20 years of uh, secrecy and silence. Jacob's worst fears are about to take place. And so Jacob does what any smart man would do. He diversifies his portfolio. This is risk management. He puts out front his servants, and then between them, their space, and then more servants, and then between them is a space, and then Leah, and then between them, then his favorite, Rachel. If Leah was not offended before, she is offended now. <laughs> he diversifies portfolio. It's risk management, and, and why? Think of it. He, just, he doesn't want to lose everybody all at once. If Esau is coming to kill him, at least they will kill the front crew, and then he'll be able to flee with the rest of them. I mean, seriously, this is the Bible. Welcome to Jacob's life. He has been running his whole life, but this is a moment in life he cannot escape. He can't escape this. <laughs> I was thinking this week about a children's song, going on a bear hunt. We used to sing this to our kids. And, and there's this little phrase going on a bear hunt which says this, you can't go over it, you can't go under it, you can't go around it, gotta go through it. Jacob has to go through it. And he is terrified. How do you face an uncertain future? You pray. Look at his prayer, the first recorded prayer of Jacob in the Bible, and it's the, one of the most lengthy prayers in Genesis. You're going to see what Chip Ingram calls a high view of God, an accurate view of yourself, and a renewed commitment to God's purposes. Here it is. Verse 9. Chapter 32, and Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of uh, my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. That is a high view of God. O God, you said to me to go home. High view of God. Now, accurate view of himself. Verse 10, I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. That is very wealthy. And now his renewed commitment. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I am afraid of him that he may come and attack me, the, mother, uh, the mothers with the children. But you said... I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. What he does here, this is a prayer that combines a high view of who God is with an accurate view of himself, I am not worthy, and a renewed commitment to God's purposes. God, you said. God, you promised. When my girls were younger, if we would promise them a game or to do something with them or whatever, and we let time go by, eventually those little girls would be grabbing my pants, right? They would be tugging, and they would say, Dad, you promised. And this is what Jacob is doing. He's looking at God, this high view of God, accurate view of himself, and he's saying, 
God, you promised. And the good news is, whenever we have to walk through something where there's fear involved, we do not walk alone because God comes down. God comes down. You want to see the first glimpse of the true and better Jesus, the true and better incarnation where God becomes flesh? Here it is. God comes down. Look at this. Chapter 32, he's wrestling now with a man. The scripture is going to call him God. Uh, This is the night before he meets Esau. His stomach's in knots. He's sleepless. There's probably spiritual warfare going on. There's mental gymnastic. It's all of the what ifs. All of the preparation has been done to meet Esau, but now God has to prepare the heart of Jacob. He has no control. And so he, he gets in an encounter with God. This is a God encounter. He gets alone with God. Take a look with me at verse uh, 23. It says this, that Jacob took them, his family, and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the break of day. This is God in flesh. He later says this is, the, this is the man that he has seen, and he has seen God face to face. He gets alone with God. It is the first reference in this Bible to the eternal God uh, somehow taking upon a fleshly appearance. He dwells with us. He becomes like us. He becomes man, and he wrestles with Jacob. Stop and think about that for a moment. Could you imagine wrestling with the God of the universe who at any moment could just take you with his little fingers and break you? Could you imagine that? My friend in college, he was undefeated, Minnesota wrestling champion. He went up against an undefeated wrestling champion at state championships, undefeated versus undefeated. And my friend Shane, within 30 seconds, took him by the head, slammed his head to the ground, and he was knocked out for 30 seconds. Jacob is wrestling with God. And God actually lets this go on all night long. (laughs) Why would God do that? Parents, do you ever wrestle with your kids when they were younger? And with all of their might, they are swinging and hooking and grabbing. And you let it go on, don't you? And you're laughing. You let it go on because you want to see how they're, how they're built, how they're made. Are they going to give up? Jacob doesn't give up. All night long, all night long, he wrestles with God. Question, what would cause you to wrestle with God all night long? What would cause you to wrestle in prayer for two minutes? Anything? 
How about like a meal time, right? Would you pray for two minutes? Anybody, would you pray for two minutes over a meal? What would cause you to wrestle for two hours and claim until God blesses you? What would cause you to wrestle for four hours? What would cause you to wrestle all night long? Jesus wrestled in prayer all night long, and it says in the morning, then he chose his 12 disciples. That's a big decision, isn't it? There's some things that require that we wrestle with the Lord. He wrestles all night. And then he makes a humble demand. Verse 26, in the midst of this wrestling, the sun is coming up. Then he said, this is the Lord said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. (laughs) I won't let go until you bless me. He makes a humble demand. Demand. There is a term in Israel, we learned this on our trip three years ago, uh, among the Jewish people, it's called chutzpah. Everybody say that. Chutzpah. Chutzpah. The Jewish people have a term called chutzpah, and literally it means this. It means shameless audacity. It's guts. It's impudence. It's boldness. It is the courage, the chutzpah, to go before God and actually demand something. Tuesday night, this past Tuesday during prayer, I was thinking about chutzpah, and all of a sudden my wife, who's leading prayer for the women of our congregation, uh, at the end of her prayer, she says, Lord, we ask. No, Lord, we humbly demand because you promised it. You see it? That's chutzpah. It is humble demand. That doesn't seem to go together, does it? It's humble demand. Why? Because you promised. And here's Jacob with humble demand because God himself promised. God is so impressed by this chutzpah. Verse 27. And he said to him, what is your name? Uh, just quick vote. How many think that God knows his name? Just, <laughs> he knows his name. He's calling to mind Jacob's past because Jacob means deceiver, manipulator. What's your name? Deceiver, manipulator. In this encounter, Jacob, when you are not going to let go of me without a blessing, I'm going to change your name. You ready? Because whenever God gives a new name, it is something, it's a new future. Here it is. Then he said, no, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, Jacob, but your name shall be called, what is it? First reference of over 2,500 references to Israel in the Bible right here. Your name's Israel because you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Isn't it amazing that God gives a name for his people that comes from chutzpah, 
you had the bold courage to humbly demand that God do something according to his promise. And you were willing to go before the throne and with humble demand and with chutzpah, with audacity, with shameless boldness, say, God, give it to me because you promised. Mind you, it's not rebellion. This is not rebellion. This is not rebellion. This is the chutzpah to say, God, you promised, and I'm not letting go until you deliver. And God is honored by that. And he gives the name of his people, (laughs) Israel, which means to struggle with God. You know it's okay to struggle with him and receive his blessing. In this moment, Jacob comes out with a holy limp. Look at it, because this moment he's never going to forget. Verse 25, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was wrenched, uh, dislocated, put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Verse 31 says he went on limping because of his hip. What is going on here with a simple touch, with a simple touch? His hip is dislocated forever. He's been running his whole life in his own strength, and now through one touch of the Lord, his life will be described and defined by weakness, and he will now minister out of his weakness. He will walk with a limp forever because of an encounter with God. Talked to a surgeon this week about this. He deals with hips and knees and everything else. And I said, hey, what's going on here? And he called it uh, the ligamentum teres. I have a picture of it up here. Uh, and uh, that ligamentum teres right there, it's between, of course, the ball. And, 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 and basically what it is is it, it is a very strong rope-like tendon which goes between the ball and it kind of extends around when that tendon gets dislocated, dislodged, when it gets out of place without surgery, it will never go back in. And chances are you will walk the rest of your life not only with a limp, but that leg will turn out to be about one, two, or three inches shorter than the other. As the rest of your life, you are hobbling with a cane. (laughs) What? What's going on here? Why would God do this? Jacob, all of his life, and with one touch of the Lord in a moment of wrestling, he is left with a limp forever, which will define him. One man I know said this. He said, usually when I wrestle with God, he wins. And Jacob will be reminded that God won, but I got the blessing. His holy limp would be a physical reminder of meeting God and coming out with a blessing and coming out with the ability to rely upon God for his strength. It's a holy limp. Where else do we see somebody who has physical wounds that would go on forever and even extend into eternity other than Jesus Christ whose very wounds on his hands and his feet and his sides 
point to the fact of a day when he wrestled, when he suffered wounds. And because of the wounds that he suffered, his holy hands will forever recall that God's blessings are almost always mingled with suffering. And then he encounters an elder brother who runs to him, embraces him, he kisses him. Where else in the scripture do we see a man running, embracing, kissing, forgiving? Where do we see it? We see it in the prodigal's father who runs after the younger son and embraces him and kisses him. We don't know the transformation. We don't understand what happened between Esau when he went from I'm going to kill him to running, embracing, and throwing his arms around. That is a miracle, my friend. That's a miracle. You know what I think it is? I think it is God's answering Jacob's prayer to give a blessing. Because Esau was coming with 400 men. And somehow, someway, God transformed it and reconciled the two. But I want to go back to the holy limp. Let's make it personal. What's your holy limp? Where is that place in life that, uh, that has so wounded you? The place of suffering which has forever changed you, but that place has become the very source of ministry. Do you know that some of the most powerful ministry that we can do arises from places of suffering and weakness? Do you know that? The couple that is ministering to our divorce care this fall both come out of divorce backgrounds, and God has given them a holy limp to minister to them. The young lady who's ministering to divorce care for kids came out of a background where her parents divorced when she was roughly 12 years old, and through that experience, she's got a holy limp to minister to other kids who are going through it. The man who's ministering this fall to men's freedom from addiction comes out of a situation where he almost lost his family, his kids, his work, his everything, and because of God's freedom and setting him free, that is a holy limp now where he speaks hope and life and ministry into other men. His wife is ministering to women who are in, involved in relationships where there's addiction stuff going on. That's a holy limp of hers as she's ministering now to other people. The seven people that we met with this week, all of whom have children who have been at involved in the opioid crisis. We listen to their stories, we watch their tears, and we're seeing God stirring something out of the pain, out of the limp. We are seeing God raise up ministers for his glory. And then I met with a couple this week who three years ago didn't ask for it, they didn't want it. They didn't see it coming. But they lost their son to suicide. And in the midst of that grieving process, God gave them a holy limp to be the arms and the hands of Jesus, to minister, to support families who are also experiencing the same type of grief and pain. Those families now have connected up, and it's a beautiful story. You're going to meet them in just a second. Uh, but take a look at the, this 30-second video, and then you'll get a chance to meet Ron and Janine. It's responsible for 123 U.S. deaths a day, nearly 45,000 a year. Yet suicide is usually only talked about in hushed tones. 
Suicide prevention can start today with heroes like you. Join the Out of the Darkness Community Walk Against Suicide, Saturday, September 15th at the Grand Traverse Civic Center. Register online for the day of the walk. Join a movement that's smart about mental health and can turn a walk into hope. Amen. Guys, thank you for being up here today. Thank you. <laughs> uh, this is uh, Janine, Ron. Uh, thank you guys uh, for your partnership, uh, and both of you serve as, uh, as chair uh, for the American Center for Suicide Prevention. And of course, then we have you two ladies. Uh, we have daughter, mother, and both of you have experienced the pain of suicide as well within your home. And you guys also serve on the same chair as well, or on the same council. Thank you guys for your partnership. Uh, Janine, uh, tell us uh, briefly about, I, I, I know it's hard to do, tell us about Zachariah. Um, well, as it said in the video, uh, and an average of 123 people die of suicide in the nation every day. And when you have a son that is part of that 123, it really um, changes you. And I know that it's changed your lives also. Um, but Zechariah, it was um, very strong physically. He was a power lifter. He uh, was an encourager. He had a huge smile that lit up the room as he would walk into the room. He was a friend to everybody, team player. And we know that suicide, mental illness, does not discriminate. So um, complete, complete shock for us, yeah. as it usually is. Yeah, and you never saw this path coming for you. Uh, you weren't even aware of this, uh, you know, the, the American Foundation for Suicide. I mean, yes. this was not on your radar. Yeah. You didn't see it coming. But somehow through this process of pain mingled with sorrow, God has given you a place to be the arms of Jesus to the community. And it's been three years. Why is this a holy limp for you? Well, it's a holy limp because we know that um, Zechariah would want us to be talking about mental illness and suicide. Normally, we want everyone to know that it's okay not to be okay. And we want to normalize the, um, the conversation about mental illness and suicide. And um, we, we know he's, and, and the Lord has confirmed many times in the last almost three years that we're definitely doing what we should mm -hmm. be doing. Amen. And being with people with lived experience, letting them know that they're not alone in the darkness of their mental illness. They're not alone um, if they've been touched by a loss of suicide. Amen. Amen. So it was three years ago in, in Grief Share here at New yes. Hope uh, that uh, Ron and Janine met uh, you guys, I, I believe both of you uh, at the time. So that was a time that you guys were grieving together, uh, having walked through this. Uh, and then since then, uh, you joined a walk in the Grand Rapids area just as a participant. Yes. And then you said, why not here? Right. And yes. so you're bringing it to Traverse City one month from now yes. there's a walk uh, in traverse city mm -hmm. uh, to bring awareness to this and you guys are are doing it this is i mean you are living out now this calling yes. didn't ask for it didn't want it you wouldn't want this for any other family but you're not wasting the pain and i want to say thank you for that thank you thank you, you. Glory thank to you god. so much glory you guys to god mm. thank you um uh, you have information on the back table We're going okay. to so uh, if you'd like to talk with uh, these folks uh, at the back information table, uh, they have information for the upcoming walk. Thank you guys uh, for, for your time today. Appreciate it. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, we pray now for um, holy limps. 
We pray, Father, that you would give your blessing upon your people, that you would cause a wrestling type of a spirit, uh, a good wrestling, a striving with you, a humble demand, a chutzpah, Uh, Lord, that refuses to let you go until you bless us. Father, we pray that you would uh, reach into those deep, dark places of grief and divorce and opioid addiction and suicide. And Father, we pray that through the tragedies of life that you would place your finger on it and you would help us to remember that you are the God of transformation. We pray for reconciled relationships. We pray for miracles. We pray for the, uh, the blessing of Almighty God to transform lives for your glory. Help us as a church to minister to the needs of the community, to be a church of messes to miracles, that when people have pain, they know that there's hope at New Hope. Do this for your glory. Give us holy ambitions and continue to raise up strong leadership teams to minister your gospel. We thank you, Lord, for the story of Jacob and Esau because we recognize we're no different and that there's no pain like family pain. But we pray, Father, that your will would be done both here and forevermore. And we pray this in Jesus' name.